Welcome to Houndsy, the Steel Army Podcast. I'm Dan Yost, and with me tonight to recap a playoff-esque nil-nil draw home against Louisville, I got a couple of cool dudes. One of them is is the uh, is the Yak. What's good, Yak? Hi, Yost. What's going on? Not much. Just uh, you know, recording on a on a Monday night. I think it's our first ever Monday night recording. Since the season started, we did the the week before the season kicked off. But how's your Monday night doing? And is this weird to re- be recording on a Monday? Yeah, I feel wildly out of place, and I don't know if I'm going to say anything that makes sense tonight. But we're going to give it a go. The old college try, I think, is what the uh, no the kids don't say that. It's what the old say. I I say that. Who who gives a shit? Fair enough. Also join us tonight. We got the Seth in the house. What's up, Seth? was forced by the uh, board of directors here at the Thompson household to open up the transfer budget. And uh, we acquired a dog last week. So, Oh, that's right. I saw are, the pictures. Yay. We are, we have a toddler and a nine week old Australian shepherd. So sleep and just being normal human beings just is not a thing right now. So, we're, so, uh, we're learning as we go. So you and the better half are like, oh, the three-year-old, that's, that's not enough work. Let's bring a puppy into the mix. I was strongly uh, outvoted as far as the timing of this move went. Uh, I was looking for more of the winter transfer window, uh, like Christmas present. And uh, the the other half of the board of directors decided that they uh they wanted to go another route so in the in the other half the has 51 percent voting power yeah like 99 one kind of thing yeah. uh so i'm i mean I, i'm really happy so we've just uh she she's very very sweet she's like a sour patch kid she's very sweet and then she wants to play and she wants to like try to tear my hand off and I think she's just trying to like assert her dominance over me and I'm not going to let it happen. So I'm going to, you know, have cuts all over my hands and arms from her trying to roughhouse me. But so we're going to clip that, that, uh, that bit of audio and use it like nine months from now when she's actually running that household. I think like, this past weekend, I think we spent more on like food and stuff for her than we did for like the rest of the household. So beautiful. Well, let's uh, let's move it on to the uh, the business at hand here. Hounds nil, Louisville City nil. This past Saturday, in front of four thousand plus uh, at the old at the old high mark. Uh, damn near perfect weather. Uh, at least that's how I took it. Yak would. You were there. Was that was that almost idyllic uh, soccer weather for you? Yeah, I'm not going to complain about that. That's as good as it can get for me. Uh, I am very pale. I enjoy when it's overcast and cloudy. Um, I love when the fall happens and we just get colder and colder weather, and I'll be most pleased when I'm putting on a hoodie for game days. But uh, Saturday was excellent, in my opinion. It was a great day for some soccer. Beautiful. Uh 
really nice game. More than one person has called it playoff-esque or playoff atmosphere or playoff intensity. Uh, hard to, to disagree with with that thought uh, at all. But the first big shock uh, of the night comes when the lamps are released. Lamps come out. Uh, you get weight in the back, and then you get a, a, just a back four of Kelly Rosales, who has not started in, in some time, Ordonez, Williams, and Peters. And then your midfield of Griffin and Forbes. Um, and then your more advancing attacking midfield of uh, Hugh Alexander Dixon, Robbie Mertz, Cicerone. And then Dequa up top uh, on his lonesome. And uh, everyone's favorite talking point, uh, Shane Wheat, not in the 18. Um, Seth, we'll go with you first. When you saw the lineup, and you, you it kind of became clear that... Uh, you're looking at four, uh, four in the back, no Shane Wheat, and Kelly Rosales getting a start. Um, what were your takeaways? About Jelani being the quote-unquote left back, um, but I thought he had I thought he had a very solid night. Uh, he really like I didn't see too much like overlapping runs from him as far as like taking an outside run as a wing back um but i thought he you know i thought he definitely kind of like he, he, he was sitting kind of like 10 yards inside like half the half line and he was just like a nice outlet to kind of like cycle the ball back through and just like kind of reset the offense um so i i thought he did really well i mean i'm looking at the player ratings Fought mob has him at a 7.7 .7 for the match so i mean you can't really complain about a guy that size filling in that role Probably it, due to the fact that Louisville has a front that can get forward on you. and can. So I think that really is why Bob probably decided that it made more sense to have more uh, speed up front to kind of keep up with those guys marking-wise. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Shane Wheat's like the open book of the season. The guy's either great awful or apparently i don't remember him not being in an 18 though i no i think this no, is no, no. I, I even a couple times he hasn't started he's been an option off the bench this is uh i mean maybe not the open cup game against maryland uh but uh you have to assume this was not a my guess is this, this was not a, a coach's decision this um which i guess we, we can get to get to in a bit but um yeah i mean that's a guy who's penciled in as a starter every every night nearly every night not in the 18 uh although he was over at uh shaking hands at the end of the match so he was there he was so um and I didn't, there was no you know uh casts or like anything like that very obvious that there's a reason why he's not starting so who knows um but we can we can get into that in a bit uh, i almost wonder if it was like a true rest night possibility because we've we've done the uh kind of the, the merry-go-round of, of people getting their night off so maybe maybe even sh you know the only person who doesn't get that is uh is is danny griffin who knows uh yeah yak uh four in the back kind of overloaded the the midfield a bit 
I would say in the first half of that match, uh, Pittsburgh were the, the better side, the more dominant side, and were controlling, in, were controlling the midfield. How did that lineup play off to you in those that first 45 minutes? It's got to be the first time in a while, if not all season, that we had four dedicated defenders. Um, I had com- I've complained a lot about. I'm not sure if I complained, but our one of our big weaknesses is is the counterattacks and just having fewer people back generally against a team like Louisville that I assume can bring it frequently with with a lot of dudes who know how to finish close to the ball and um, very few chances throughout the game. Generally, the Hounds were favored and the defense was very solid and certainly no counters I don't remember that were too, too dangerous. Um, So I think the move worked. I wonder how much Louisville, what percentage of energy Louisville was at because we were the last game of a very congested schedule for them. Um, and they might have been kind of content with coming out of Highmark with just a tie, but I was I was very pleased with how the the defense performed and just in general, um, how our how our uh, formation in this game worked out. Um, we basically split possession, and possession is not our strong suit. And is I think Louisville is the highest possession team in the league, so that's that's a big win. Just being able to hold on to the ball for that long, limit their chances to get forward. I think it worked like a charm. It really did. Uh, it was, again, having a bit more of the ball, to me, dictating the, the midfield better than Louisville did in the longer stretches of the match. Couldn't convert it to, to a goal. But, I mean, to me, that's a bit of a proof of concept that this team can play that way against the best offense in the league, as the stats bear out, and and make it work. Um Seth, I guess I'll ask the question this way. Is there any chance in hell that this might have been Bob trying something new with, you know, seven at that point, what, seven games left in the regular season to see if maybe there's a different way to, to tackle the playoffs? Thinking about this earlier today, and the big shakeup, that Bob's going to like kind of tinker with down the stretch to get a comfort level with going again, you know, going into the playoffs. I think this is probably the perfect match uh, to try something like that out against, or maybe it's setting us up for uh, try to eliminate the comfort level for opponents. Uh, You know, maybe this does revive the five in the back. If we do see Louisville in the playoffs, and they're kind of expecting to see us in a four, and we, you know, an hour before the match, we show up with five in the back. Maybe, maybe Bob's playing the long game here. Bob playing uh, playing chess against checkers. I mean, probably wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I guess their lineup surprise that was compounded by the fact he never saw the field in this game was Danny Rivera. Which you would think, if to me, if, if Wheat was out for, or at least not even the 18, you'd think Rivera has done enough to get a spot in the in the starting 11. But he ends up on the bench, and uh, Kelly Rosales uh, gets a, a a rare start for him. Anyone else? Either you two 
raise an eyebrow by Rivera one not getting a start with Wheat out and then two not uh, not being an option off the off the bench. Um, with that said, Bob won't use two of of uh, a potential five subs. Uh, but to me, that was one of the, the more surprising things. Uh, anyone have thoughts on Danny Rivera unused sub? I think when USL decided they were going to keep the five subs, I thought that was a plus, given that we thought this team's pretty deep. So why didn't Bob use all five subs? Um, oh, I'm sorry, he also used know. three. Uh, Mark Rivera came in the 88th minute, and I totally forgot about that part. Sorry, Mark. But yeah, I would, I would put put fresh legs out there. I, I don't know. I I like Rivera. Rivera's game is really good, especially with Dos Santos gone for a while slash the season, like. That's Rivera's. That was Rivera's platoon player, so to speak. Get him more minutes. I don't know. I would see the Mark Ibarra substitution in the 88th for Mertz. When I saw Robbie coming off, I thought that would probably be Danny. I'd probably Danny Griffin or Kenny into more of that number 10 role. Um, but I don't know. Maybe this, you know, I think we we talked about this a couple weeks ago um, as far as the whole, like, quasi-rotation match, not try to put too much out there against Louisville and save up for Birmingham. And I, I'm starting to wonder if, you know, there's not a lot of match day congestion for the Hounds this year. So maybe Bob really wants to make sure that guys that he wants to be able to go 80-90 um, are, are 100% ready to roll. A possibility, because we've been doing this this run of uh, of rotation against all these, these two teams, uh, the battery, and then possibly against Louisville. And I guess the last point I'll put on that is I was stunned, stunned when uh, – Kiza and Argudo come in in the 74th minute. Two attacking pieces are coming into the game. Uh, basically, well, coming in for, for Dixon and Cicerone. So, uh, I mean, Dixon more of a, a midfielder than what Argudo and Kiza bring to the table. So definitely attacking options, making this team, which was already a bit offensive, a bit more offensive. But they both come into the game ahead of uh, Dane Kelly, and to me that is a big eyebrow raiser. Um, are we possibly looking at the Dane Kelly in the the Bobbly Doghouse shitless situation here? And how big could that be going into these final six games slash the playoffs? Um, Seth, any concern? Big deal? No deal? Little deal? I'm thinking you see Dane Kelly start against Birmingham. I'm going to go no deal. Yak, big deal, little deal, no deal. Uh, little deal. Uh, more surprise than anything is how this has gone down. This Dane Kelly situation, I, like the homecoming period is kind of over. Or not homecoming. Uh, Honeymoon. There you go. That's right. Um, he's had one goal since May or something. When he had six after that, like, what, two or, like, four games, something like that? 
right after that white hot start where it looked like he couldn't do wrong. Um, it's just odd how this has kind of gone down, but it's not like we don't have people who are, who aren't there if we're not putting in Dane Kelly, he might be falling down the depth chart, uh, at least in Bob's eyes. And, um, kids that looked fairly dangerous, uh, in this, in this game. And he looked good in the last game too. I thought he had a goal and then scored, uh, on Saturday night. So, you know, if, if this is more or less the end of the run for Dane Kelly with, with Bob, that's it's shocking, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. Fair. Uh, the other thing I really want to touch on is, I know this has been a thing for a while, but this really, to me, stuck out in this game was this absolute commitment to get the ball down the wings, cross it in, and that's how we're scoring goals in this game. Um, unless you had you know some sort of, of breakout play, but it was it, you know down the wings, cross, and hope for the best. And they just weren't getting home. These these crosses either on the corners or just when they're brought down or just they're floated in past the back post too soft to to challenge a keeper because he couldn't you know get across his box and, and make the save uh, enough time for defenders to get in front of these headers or other you know uh, shots in the middle of the box from across and I I think I just I've gotten so used to it that I don't think much about it and then Louisville had one of those late in the game on our end. And if OMB had gotten on the end of it because it was whipped in so hard at his uh, chest head level, if he gets on that, it's it's a goal for sure because and he, he just missed it. But when you are so conditioned of watching these crosses kind of be somewhat lazily put in there and then you see a, the air team do it once and really whip one in there, holy shit, does it stick out like a sore thumb. Uh I, I don't even know if there's a question to ask on this. I just feel like it has to be stated that for being so committed to this, this method of, of attempting to score, it's just not that good. It really isn't. And it needs to be better. Seth, anything you want to add on that? Tell me I'm, I'm missing something here. But it just, I think I spent the five minutes after uh, Ombi had his miss. By the way, uh, fuck off, Brian Obi. Um, just thinking, where has this been from the Hounds all year? Because it's not what we've had. Well, so, and I think this is where I've been the most shocked since the the homecoming of Robbie Mertz, is that I really thought with that mid-three that you'd see a lot of kind of quick passes through the middle and then playing in, you know, Dixon, Cicerone, or Chicharone, whatever we're, however we're pronouncing it this week. Uh, I, I thought that that's what we were kind of going to start seeing is a little bit more like inverted runs from those guys, like out, outside in. And I, it really doesn't feel like, I mean, like you said, they love pounding the wings at this point. Um, so, I, I'm kind of shocked that that's how Bob has gone about using those middle three. Much more collaborative. And I thought, you know, it would kind of be, I, I kind of thought it would be hard to tell who was the, who was the true 10 and which two were kind of sitting back in more of a mid role. I thought you'd see them being 
a lot more interchangeable in the attacking third. And it doesn't seem to be playing out like that. Yak, your thoughts. Uh, I'm going to put some numbers to this talk. Uh, yes. The crosses for the game was 24 for the Hounds to 9 for Louisville. Uh, and for us in particular, uh, crossing accuracy was 17%, which basically means six of our 24 crosses found a Riverhound shirt or head. Um, I didn't notice that they were weak necessarily. They were soft crosses. Um the ones on the highlight package that I was watching to warm up this podcast were pretty whipped, were pretty consistently whipped in. Um, but they're going not for like, I'm going to cross the ball and the dude is going to head it or, or, or shoot it on goal immediately. He's going to like try to, he- I'm going to go deep on the back post and head it towards the middle of the box and hope that the guy number three puts it in. Um, they were close a couple of times. 24 crosses has not been an unusual number. I don't have any previous games in front of me, but but re- I'm recalling that we are always above 15. We're frequently above 20. That's not like an unusual number, but it's high for like the average. Like we are a high crossing team. Are, is it resulting in extra chances? I mean, our XG is pretty high, but our finishing rate is, is, isn't is too good right now. Um, I'd be curious, yeah, to take – the cross numbers, how many times are they finding a target in the box? And, and what, what's the actual scoring conversion rate off of these crosses? Because it, it, it feels like it has to be low. I wish the team... There was like a three-game stretch there where, where, where I think, you know, uh, Jelani Pierce got on one. Uh, the aforementioned Shane, we got on one. And there was like a little run there where it looked like it was coming together. And then it's gone back to being... Um, I wish the league uh, do had a, had a, a crosses leader list. The league doesn't, and I don't think that uh, our buddy John on USL Tactics do does either. I've never seen a list anywhere of this type of no. stuff, and I, now I'm, I'm a bit curious about it. John's stats right now, he does not have crosses. Which means he, because he pulls all his data off of the uh, USL website, I believe. So it means you're not going to get it from them. So either you'd have to probably get it off of some other, some other service. Oh well. Yeah, I would agree. That is that has been our most frequent attacking method, and it's doesn't always mean that it's getting us the most goals. Unfortunately. They're just not getting Especially home nearly we, enough, at least in my opinion. They're just they're. I don't know. Especially when we thought at the beginning of the year, like we got some big dudes on on defense, we're gonna score like the the old fashioned Rochester Ray with these freaking giant people in the back coming up on crosses and long possessions and corner kicks and stuff. It gets to the point you watch enough of this where you know the cross finds no one and and just spills out the backside of the box. Or gets in there and then and then bounced back out to the top of the box and it's a bunch more negative passes and you're just kind of taking it back to the midfield. Or they're they're just missing targets completely and yeah they someone connects on it but it's a it's a weak header right the goalie or five feet off of uh, off the frame and it results in in a goal kick. Um, 
yeah. Bot Mob does have accurate crosses per match, and they have the Hounds third at 5.7 per match, trailing Detroit City at 6.2 and Phoenix at 6.1. Now that as a percentage of crosses taken. The league has 357 total open play crosses. So, hmm. uh, you said five per match? Is that what the number you said, Seth? It was like 5.6 or something. Okay. Well, that, so they're, they're probably using two different metrics because that would be really, really close to half of successful crosses finding a hound shirt on the end of it. And that would be really high. So the, I don't think those two numbers are using the same thing. I like how we've devolved into uh, crossing balls into the box chat here, but it's fun to go down different pathways, isn't it? Yeah. Seth, any of your thoughts on the match? Uh, Pittsburgh Sports Now was talking to Robbie after the match, and they kind of asked him if that was the quote-unquote battle that he was expecting and he said that he you know he was and i i think it 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 felt much tenser than a regular season match that we've seen over the last season so it definitely felt a little bit more like there was a lot more going on and it really felt like like you said it was it was definitely going to be a one nil game either way. Ownby finish or Kiza at the other end. I think those were really the two biggest opportunities. Yak. Final thoughts and then I'll ask you and then I'm all well as one part here. Final thoughts and then two is your confidence in the hounds Higher, lower, about the same uh, after this match than it was before. Uh, depending on how I look at this match, I both feel good and feel frustrated at times, which means, yeah, a draw was probably warranted. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, I'm more confident marginally than I was uh, before the match. So, you know, I, I, I think... Overall, that shows a trend in the in, in a good direction for the Hounds that the showing they put on Saturday. A lot of a lot of at least in my opinion, I don't know what what you saw uh, in the crowd, yak, but it looked like a lot of new faces in there uh, on Saturday. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's a crowd that appreciates uh, muck and grind, nil nil draws as opposed to flashy scoring affairs because it was a really to me a good game but maybe something that doesn't appeal to to the casuals too much and that would be a shame uh if a lot of first timers were there and they got um kind of sucked into the the stereotype of boring nil nil draw when it it wasn't boring but people were just used to scoring that would be a shame game's just going to be a lot tighter now now that now that fall is coming right it's time to turn the screws a little tighter. Now there wasn't uh, the uh, the on field stuff was not the only kind of exciting 
different stuff going on in the stadium. For the first time in a while, uh, they tried a theme night uh, going with this this 90s theme. I My assumption, this is a uh, new President Jeff initiative. And I will just say you could always do more with it. I, I think the Penguins have kind of set the tone on how to really take these theme nights to the max. But I do want to commend them for not completely half-assing it, which we've seen the Hounds do in years past when they try to do these theme nights, where they, I mean, they put in, hey, we'll just play the correct era music or the correct themed music and call it a day. Um, they, all the, the, the hype up video package was, was 90s-esque with like the VHS tracking lines and uh, that kind of stuff. The boards went down for a little bit with this like faux Y2K bug thing, which was kind of nice. Uh, they switched out the the Hounds graphic for the uh, the current logo for the not just the old uh, Hounds head logo, but the the 1999 uh, red and tan Hounds head logo. Uh, a couple other small touches they did in there. So I thought that for the low bar that the Hounds usually set for these things, I thought it went well. Uh, Seth or Seth, well, you weren't there. Did any of that come off on on uh, ESPN Plus, or uh, kind of probably missed all that? Package didn't definitely didn't have any certain. All right. Feeling. Yeah. So it just felt like felt like any other match as far as that goes. Could you tell on the on the uh, video board they're using the different logo that come out? Time the you know the camera went high enough to show the center scoreboard, you'd see the the glorious 1999 red and tan. Nice, uh, Yak. What were your thoughts on on that theming uh, on the, both on its own and compared to previous attempts by the by the club? I was pleased, and I kind of hope they do that like like a, a Hounds retro night of some degree, even if that retro is only like the late aughts or something like once a year, that'd be cool. I think that's something that they could do to just, you know, bring back old faces and um, kind of just remember an era that once was from 10 or 20 or 25 years ago. Uh, I was kicking myself as I got there because I totally forgot to kind of dress the way I wanted to wear like a 90s hat. And I also wanted to wear a 20 the a, the 2015 era jerseys which brings me to the one thing that i really wish the hounds would do one of these days is just bring back blue for like a day bring back wear a blue jersey throwback jersey for like a game or make it your third jerseys for a year i would just love that i might be the minority for that but i think it'd be awesome jeff if you are listening to this um and you want to you want to make a couple quick bucks on this uh, I saw a guy in the stands wearing one. Multiple people pointing out, hey, did you see that guy wearing that? It was a uh, old-school, lawn-sleeve, collared, uh, Pittsburgh Spirit uh, jersey. My man, you you put out a third jersey that is Pittsburgh Spirit uh, ins- inspired by the Pittsburgh Spirit. Um People, uh, people will buy uh, in droves. So just put that on the uh, on the idea post-it note there, Jeff. If you uh, 
want to make some bucks next year. Because now they uh, have that partnership with that like vintage retro clothing company that maybe something could be in the works. Just saying. People have been clamoring for it for years. Do it. Uh, the error off the field stuff was uh, we had a Hall of Fame induction that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Gene Klein, former Hounds uh, GM, uh, head coach, assistant coach, broadcaster, uh, just Western Pennsylvania, Greater Pittsburgh soccer legend. Uh, for lack of a better phrase, even though you may not need a better one, because I think legend applies, gets a spot in the Hall of Fame. Uh, for kind of being somewhat short notice, I thought they did it well. Uh, it turns out they had a reception for him the night before. Uh, he, he was inducted at halftime. He was up on the balcony, gave a speech. There was a ton of his old uh, teammates or uh you know, guys he, he, he coached, uh, former Hounds players. Uh, they even had, because he was the head coach at Quaker Valley for a long time, they brought back a lot of, uh, of guys he coached, uh, not Hounds, but former players at Quaker Valley were there. Um, he gave a speech. I thought it went very, very well. I would say the only drawback is they're still putting those names on white text on that glass up there. That Unless you know it's there, you can't really see it or know it's there. That needs to get improved. Um, that's not even optional at this point. That has to be something better than that. But I thought uh, for for not hyping it up, you know, weeks in advance or doing it in the off season like they did uh, back in '99. I thought or uh, 2009, excuse me, 2019. Holy crap! Um, I thought it went very well. Yak, what the? What was your takeaway from it? Uh, yeah. It was it was well done. Uh, I hope they do it more often. Um, Gene Klein is a little bit before my time as a on per, as an on field person, either a player or a coach. But I do miss him in the broadcast booth, which was cool to see as I was starting to take up into the Hounds in the mid twenty teens of of the Hounds YouTube era, basically. Um, but it was it was well done. It, it was good reception for them, and I'm glad they got as many people from Gene's past, both with the Hounds. And with his high school connections out there, that's that's that was well done by the organization. Yeah. Uh, again, I just, I hats off to whoever uh, made that happen. Um, again, there there might have might be reasons why they um, pushed to to get that done now, um, but it, um, yeah, for not for not having a lot of time in advance to to make it happen i'm glad they made it happen um and yeah and i'm just happy that the hall of fame didn't really die off as a covid casualty i know there was kind of grander plans after the 2019 induction that there was going to be a a yearly thing for a while and then every other year uh, kind of after they get those first few classes done and i i kept poking at some people behind the scenes saying, hey, is this, you know, when's this getting picked back up? Who's who's kind of in charge of making this happen? And then this kind of, this not kind of came out of nowhere, this came out of nowhere. Uh, but I am I am thrilled that in a very unhoundsy way, uh, someone has, 
has made sure that this keeps going. And to whomever that is, thank you. Uh, good work. And uh, whoever actually had the, the green light to, to make it happen, uh, thank you for, for doing that as well. I think that is... Uh, it's, it's important for being one of the older teams, not just in USL, but it's still in American professional soccer, that we start uh, telling our history, even if there isn't a trophy cabinet really to go with that history yet, but how this club was founded, the early uh, builders of this club and the early stars of this club. Um, it's a story that needs to be told. And then also at the end of the game, um, all the... The current players going over and giving Gene a, a clap before coming over to see us was, was uh, real nice, some top-class stuff. Uh, people immediately on our side concerned why are they walking away without coming over, and then you see what they're doing, and it just it played really, really well. And uh, for an organization that sometimes doesn't do these things well, I thought they did this one exceptionally well. build this into like a hall of fame weekend and i think it would be cool if they would do like a friday night like ceremony and possibly i know like do this and i think even some of like the mls clubs have started to but like to do like a little legends match like get some guys back have them play for you know 30 minutes whatever i think that would be cool maybe just don't even make it like a ticketed event just like an open door kind of thing to kind of get people in there i think that would be i think that would be kind of a cool way to see them go with this really like kind of try to build it out and do like a full like weekend and build up for the match i mean just based on on the number of players that they had there uh sign autographs and and there for i'm assuming was was for gene uh, not not necessarily the 90s night per se but but more for Gene, I mean, what was that? Maybe 12 to 15 guys they had there, all, all the way back from, from the 99 club, all the way up through, like, most recently Kerr, um, and basically covering most most years in between. Um, yeah, you have to think there's enough guys still in the area or enough guys you could pull in uh, with enough planning to, to make something like that work. That's probably, like, an easy like charity event that they could put on um it's long, longing for is to see kevin kerr take the high mark pitch once again put kerr and vincent on opposite teams no i need them together <laughs> be beautiful um yeah now the one thing that happened that i was not so pleased with and i'll be curious if you guys uh, agree with me or, or think that I'm uh, being too alarmist. Uh, but there was some some sound, some kind of hype sounders, shall we say, uh, during substitutions and maybe one or two times during leading up the corner kicks or something like that. Um, but we first heard this uh, the last midweek game against the Battery, and I I believe a lot of us thought they were due to just because the crowd was that quiet. But it did continue this game uh, 
when there were subs and a couple other moments. And then the, they went back to having kind of those crowd prompt animations on the big screen that have not been around for a f- good few years now. Um, yeah, one, how noticeable was it for you, if at all, and, and like it, don't like it, doesn't really matter. Where, uh, where do you stand on it? I was capoing, um, so I, I didn't hear it. And even when I don't, I typically almost never hear anything that comes from the overhead speakers, except for like the starting lineups and maybe a goal announcement as the. That's the why goal I wasn't sure. It took me a while to pick up that they were doing it because the, the speakers in our area are just not good enough. Like you never hear substitutions. Um, I. I only know about it before you told me because I checked the YouTube highlights and there was a corner kick in the highlights. And so I heard the back end of it as it was being announced. I, I'd rather not be there, but I really don't care. Like the it's, it's for the, it might as well be another world over in the grandstands, whatever they want to do. That it's, it's, I, it's kind of fine by me because I can't hear it. So. Seth, it all, all plays uh, well for you, or, or are we in, infringing too much on on in-game activities? Turn into like an NBA game where they're like playing music and like different sound clips as like they bring the ball up the field. I'm okay with it. Uh, I noticed it at home on the corner kicks. Definitely, uh, it was picked up very strongly on those. Um, so I'm indifferent as long as it doesn't become too overbearing. Get the old uh, the, the Rochester Rhinos treatment when we were up there that year, and they, it was basically music the entire game. You're asking me to remember that night that oh. I think you're asking me to remember. And, uh, no, I was I'm just, just pointing that I, to. Yeah, no, I was just stating that that's kind of the, the extreme, like the, the furthest extreme of that was was that night where basically they just played music the entire game. And I'm still not even sure if that was a normal thing to do or just because we were the only people in the stands because there was a monsoon rolling through. But um, at least gave us something, I am not, gave us something to bitch I'm, about. I'm not worried that it's going to become like the Penguins dropping the Let's Go Pens horn during play. Like I, I, I think we're a long ways from that. And them having corner kick announcements or... or uh, deep free kick announcements or whatever when play is not happening there's worse things to complain about in life it's, I don't think it's that worrisome yet around a snare drum starting let's go hounds chance Amo's been around a lot more recently which I will take as a nice thing and coming by the section you know what I do notice that the grandstand does that I think is really cool when I watch we watch the games on ESPN is uh, the camera shakes on a lot of corner kicks, which means like the people in the grandstands are like jumping up and down or stomping their feet really loudly and forcing the the press box to shake. So that's cool. Good for them. Yeah, I, it's one of my favorite parts of the Miracle on the Mon part is when it all starts shaking, and then when they play DC United and Kevin Kerr drew the the penalty and the. Uh, funny enough, Gene Klein and, and um, Paul Chow kind of commenting that, that this is the first time they're feeling that that booth shake. Um, so it is, it's been around since the early days, but yeah, it is kind of fun to watch it all um, kind 
kind of earthquake a bit when the crowd in the grandstand gets into it. The corners at the end of the match there. And it was like ESPN was having trouble finding a camera angle that that wasn't like causing disruption on the on the telecast. So I thought that was pretty cool. They they were just like <laughs> frantically. I'm sure there was just like some producer at USL headquarters going one, three, two, like trying to figure out like where they could get the best angle that wasn't completely just like feeling like you're in an earthquake. So maybe the crowd was into a nil-nil draw, a gritty nil-nil affair. Anyways, we will move on from off-field stuff, unless either of you guys have something else uh, they want to throw in about uh, about that. Um, but it is time to start looking towards the future, because there's a big game coming up this Wednesday, the Hounds... Traveling down to to Alabama to take on the Birmingham Legion, the Hounds currently sit in fourth place, which is the the final home playoff spot, on 52 points, one point above Birmingham uh, in fifth. So again, this is basically uh, the six pointer to to end all six pointers. Uh, however, the Hounds now find them only two points back of Tampa Bay even though uh, Tampa does have a, a game in hand, but they take a, a surprise loss, uh, drop points. Birmingham took a loss this past weekend. Uh, keeps everything nice and tight. Uh, Pittsburgh, three points back of a, a very surprising Memphis in second place, uh, and then still eight points clear of, of Louisville in first, and that's probably not going to change. Uh, for a recap, the Hounds do have the tiebreaker over Memphis. They do not have the tiebreaker over Tampa. And they currently have the tiebreaker over Birmingham, but that could change come Wednesday. Uh, and then five points back is Miami in sixth. And eight points back uh, at the playoff line is Detroit in seventh. So nice and tight uh, in the second through seventh part of the table, all within nine points. Um, Tulsa in, in eighth is probably not going to find a way to make up nine points themselves to get ahead of Detroit into the playoffs. So we pretty much know the field. It's a question of where things start to shake out in terms of home games, away games, and who's going to face whom in the first round. But we look forward to this Wednesday. Pittsburgh going down to Birmingham. Um, it's going to be a big one. 8 p.m. kickoff, not your typical 7 o'clock. So you got an extra hour to to wait for things to, to break out on Wednesday night. Yak, what uh, what are your names or thoughts or things to look at for this game on Wednesday? So Birmingham, only a point behind us, does have more chances on the year. Um, has a bit of a weaker defense than the Hounds. I assume it's going to be very, very tight, like the one nil game that was played at Highmark. Um, they don't have any like player of the year candidates or, or players that are going to force their way onto the first or second team of the USL, but they have a lot of very, very good players. There is a man with a very large beard. His name is Enzo Martinez. I think he's got like 12 goals and nine assists or something off the top of my head for Birmingham. He is by far their, their loudest uh, forward and is probably going to cause the most amount of issues for the hounds. 
They have a very good goalkeeper that they've had named Matt Van Okel, who is uh, hovering around the top five in a couple league percentages. Um, but we've seen him well give up rounded. seven before. That is true, but his uh, his team in front of him was awful and very, very tired. Um, they have a very well-rounded attack, truthfully, like a lot of very good players. Um, the biggest name is Juan Aguadello of lots of MLS and even some U.S. men's national team fame. He's got seven goals and four assists, I think, um, in limited time this year. He, I don't think he's been with Birmingham the whole year. Um, and then the other name we'll probably recognize is one Mr. Ryan James, who has good underlying stats, according to USL Tactics, but he doesn't start that much, um, the old fullback back there. He does have a couple of goals and a couple of assists. So when he's out there, he does make some noise, uh, but he doesn't start. So I wouldn't expect him to start against Birmingham, but he'll probably be in the 18. And then another name that if you were paying attention back when the Hounds played Birmingham before that you recognize was Tommy Van Kazeel. If you remember, he was shortly after the game against the Hounds was traded down to Tampa. And by down to, I mean higher up in the table. So he's been with Tampa. Uh, he's a irregular starter bench, kind of yo-yos between starting and, and seeing some minutes off the bench. But so we, there will not be a, a return visit uh, with Tommy. Um, one thing that sticks out to me, we were actually, you, I didn't, you didn't know I had this written down, but we discussed it before. Birmingham leading the league on, on 11 penalty penalties awarded. Uh, the Hounds with one uh, and, of course, uh, the Hounds did not convert that one chance. So Birmingham does a decent job of uh, drawing fouls in the 18. Seth, uh, what are your thoughts, things to look forward to, uh, feelings for Birmingham on Wednesday night? The attack that kind of is scary is the uh, Prosper Chasm. Who, uh, he's having a really solid season for them. Um, I mean, I think that you're probably going to see Bob go with his ideal 11 for this match. And I think this is going to, this has to be, you know, if there's, if you're looking at the rest of the fixtures the rest of the way, this has to be probably the one that has the biggest circle around it at this point. So obviously, Standings the way they are, and with Tampa Bay, I don't think we necessarily thought was going into this. Um, I think this really just kind of screams uh, all hands on board. Let's go down there and try to grab three on the road. So when you say you're, you're starting 11, what... Um... Let me just throw out a couple names there, and you tell me, is this your, your strongest 11? Uh, Shane Wheat. Nope, we're losing you there. Oh, no. Okay. We'll slide on that game then. Um Oh well. Uh, 
Yak, what, uh, I'll throw it to you then. What, uh, if you're assuming Bob plays his strongest 11, what, what names that are in that not, not Dixon, not Griffin, not Forbes that you already know is going to be, uh, in the 11, who are, who are those, those guys that aren't starting every single match that you're pointing into, uh, you're pointing into the lineup on Wednesday? Um, it's it's basically the eleven that started on Saturday, um, maybe rearranged differently, um, just off the top of my head. But not Angelo Kelly, and not Williams, but Wheat, and I have to think of a midfielder. Um, maybe Danny Rivera, probably. Um, so nine of the eleven players I would have in the eleven, and if they if they want to do four in the back again, because it I'd say it worked well the first time, then stick Williams back in, and we'll do four in the back again as an aside uh with dos santos now out for the year and wheat with this mysterious not dressed this past weekend any concerns thoughts wag of the finger for letting uh robbie dambrot walk (laughs) um a little. I mean, I didn't want him. I don't know why he wasn't playing to begin with. Fair enough. Seth, what uh, what what is your ideal starting eleven? Your your must win Cup final starting eleven. Probably we have to bring wheat back into things. Definitely, um, I think for this week, I with it being midweek and. Kenny and Danny both going 90 on Saturday and Robbie going pretty much 90. I think you'll probably see a little Danny Rivera in the midfield uh, and maybe him kind of go out for 65 and then you bring in like a Kenny or somebody like that to hopefully solidify a win at the end. Um, I, I, I kind of like them better as a five at the back, honestly, I, and I don't necessarily love the the four at the back because I don't necessarily feel like we have the strongest fullbacks to carry out a traditional four back system right now. Interesting. I just I just have this doesn't qualify as a conspiracy theory. I have a theory now on why Shane Wheat was not dressed. This past weekend, he is sitting. On, share. He's sitting on seven yellows. Was this Bob takes no chance for him to pick up his eighth and be suspended for Birmingham? That would be very very smart. Because you now have Shane Wheat and Ordonia sitting on seven, and the suspension comes on eight. So is this? I don't trust Shane Wheat not to pick up a card, and so the only way to save him and make sure he plays Birmingham is to not let him sniff the field against Louisville. A team that could easily make a a defender pick up a, an easy yellow, even though it ended up not happening this weekend. But, that would be a five-head work by Bob there, if that was the play. I mean, I, I kind of doubt that's the play, but it's a fun thing to theorize. Oh, well. Well, with that, we will, uh, I guess, slowly get this, because uh, there's going to be no... no 
Wednesday wagering wagon prognostication because we're recording on a Monday and there's there's nothing going on until Wednesday and that's going to be the Hounds. Uh, not sure when we'll record again because I don't know. This is a great question for you guys. This weekend forthcoming, this will be the first uh, weekend in six and a half months without a Hounds game. Uh, Seth, how are you celebrating? Spend my morning by coaching a little uh, three under soccer with my daughter. So nothing like starting your Saturday off with just anxiety. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, probably probably play a little golf. Weather didn't work out for us last weekend. So hope to get back out. And then uh, I don't know. I've had some I've had some uh, ribs in the freezer that I've been have ample opportunity on a weekend to be able to get out and smoke. So maybe do a little smoking on the And so that's the lamest way. So, but Yak, six and a half months without a weekend, without the hounds. It's coming this weekend. What do you do? I actually will probably be likely be still watching live soccer. Um, it's rare that we get off and that we, uh, the Hounds don't play the same Saturday as the Duquesne Dukes men's soccer team who are off to their best start in program history. Uh, by the time this pod drops, they might be ranked for the first time ever because the rankings come out on Tuesday. Um, so I will be there on the bluff catching their uh, first Atlantic 10 game of the year. Look at you supporting the... Uh... And even even uh, even the Bob's not doing so bad uh, to start this year. Even though they did lose to Duquesne, although the women are kicking some ass. That's actually it's not that's not a bad call. And there's some there are a couple decent, uh, couple decent USL games for us to watch. Uh, Detroit Tampa is on Saturday. If you want to start. Scouting the all the West Coast teams. Oakland plays late. San Diego plays Phoenix late. Phoenix, what the hell happened to you this year? Uh, yeah. And then if you're really worried about Miami catching up, they play uh, Hotland at 2 on Saturday as well. So you can still get your USL fix and, and be a lot of, do a lot of scoreboard watching. But I, don't, I just dawned on me right before we started recording this was going to be the, the first Hounds-free weekend in over six months and then to think that this what feels like a like us going up to detroit in that whole shit show is now over six months old and that's crazy to me celebrating this weekend how am i celebrating i don't know i i i have no idea what i want to do who knows Let's uh, take this bad boy home. Uh, Seth, what did you learn tonight? What do you want to share with the people? Duquesne is a soccer school. Goddamn right. <laughs> That's your takeaway of the night. Thanks, Yak. Yak, what are your what what night? What uh, what are your final thoughts? What'd you learn? Um, I found out a screen door is remarkably easy to repair, and I shouldn't have put it off for a month. But I did it. Nice. Would you just buy like an extra bit of screen, and or do you like replace the entire screen? So like you know, like it. 
it's one of those doors that like pump that has the pump on the bottom because it kind of swings back and forth as it closed. Well, that broke, so I had to like reattach that to back the to the door and like the wall, I guess. Oh, so it wasn't the actual like screen part. No, no, it was the the, the door part, I guess. Uh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, that's good. I ch- I fixed the uh, the the coolant uh, return hose. That returns the, the coolant back to the res, uh, the reservoir tank, and I put that off for like two plus months, thinking it was going to be too much work, and it got to the point that I finally had to do it. I woke up at four a.m. to do it before going to work, and it, of course, it only took me twenty five minutes. So I spent the rest of the day kicking myself for why t- I took two months to do something that ended up taking twenty minutes. But you know what? The next time this happens, I will do the exact same thing and keep putting that little pesky project off to the side. <laughs> this is a real pro tip for you guys. There's a certain uh, national plumbing company that'll come to your house and do a free estimate. If you have an issue with say like your toilet and in that free estimate, they'll tell you everything that they were going to do to fix it. And then you can go to Lowe's and spend like 10% of what they were going to charge you actually even less. And you can find YouTube videos and fix it yourself. So if you need to know what certain company that is, we don't do free advertising here. Uh, hit me up on Twitter and I'll be sure to share my secrets. Look at like, that might be the most actual useful thing this, this podcast has ever put out there, right, right there. Because it's certainly nothing else we've said in the last 60 minutes and 45 seconds. Try to help the people. That's nice of you. On that note, I guess that's probably a, a decent time to uh, take this bad boy home, so I'm going to do just that. We'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network for providing the online hosting of Houndsy. Check out the wealth of soccer content being produced weekly at bgn.fm. The Houndsy theme music was composed and performed by Rocketman and the Space Babies. Check them out at facebook.com slash spacebabiespgh. The show is produced by Joe Majorek. Email the show at steelarmypgh at gmail.com and put podcast in the subject line. All complaints about the show can be sent to nick.noble at mail.wvu.edu. On behalf of Seth and Yak, I am Dan Yost. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.